But again, um, this morning, the main point is simply a lot of what I've just talked about. And the main point is this, is that um, Jesus is more powerful than your faith. Jesus is more powerful than your faith. And I think a lot of us, we have faith in certain things, but the question comes, what happens when your faith isn't enough? What happens when you hit something in life where you've heard the phrases from church for a while maybe, you've seen it stitched somewhere, you've seen it on Etsy, you've seen it on somebody's post and you, know, you just need to have more faith, you need to trust God, those kind of things. But, but what happens when your faith is not as powerful as you'd like it to be? We're going to see three stories this morning of those in the Bible whose faith was not as powerful as they had hoped it would be, and Jesus was more powerful than their faith, and Jesus meets each of these three in a unique way to prove that he is more powerful than their faith. And I'm just excited for that this morning, because as good as we can believe, and as, as much as God wants us to have a strong faith, there are times in our life that we get shaken, and there are times in our life when we think, man, I just wish I had more faith to get through this. And here's the thing. Jesus is on the other side saying, it's okay that you don't have faith. It's okay that you can't trust me right now, because I am bigger than your faith. And we've been saying a lot about that. I am more powerful than your faith. So just trust me. Put your faith in me and not in your own ability to trust. So to give you an example, we were flying back, and this is a small, really lame example, but let me just give you an example. Um, we were flying back from Utah and uh, on a certain airline that um, this certain airline I've never flown before, but it just feels, you know, like, you know you're in a metal tube, right? I mean, when you know you're flying, you know that. But this airline, like, it was kind of like their job, apparently, to go out of their way to let you know you're in a metal tube um, because it was just it, just, it just felt really condensed and the seats were plasticky and flimsy and they felt like they were kind of like screwed into the floor, not bolted into the floor and everything kind of shook a little bit, right? And I'm like, this is a great airline. Uh, I'm not going to give their name, but um, anyway, they, they were flying us over, you know, back from Vegas and into here and it was a lot, a lot of turbulence, and, and it seemed like it felt worse in this kind of plane because it was a red eye, and it went all night, and you're just kind of shaking everywhere, and it was up, and it was down. There was a couple of times your stomach was up here and not down here, and here's the truth. I've heard this before, and I don't know if it's, it's true or not, but I, the, they say it's a fact. I don't know. They say that there has never been an airplane that has crashed because of turbulence, ever. And it's just, it's just part of the ride. So it's like an extra. It's like an add-on. It's a free roller coaster for that thing. And I didn't really believe that because there are moments uh, during this flight where I'm like, we are not going to make it. We're just going to be, I don't know what mountain we're going to hit, but it's, it's going to get it's just that kind of rockiness and, and things. And here's the thing. As I was riding and as I was going through these things, never once did the pilot... Uh, come back out of the cockpit. Thankfully, he didn't come back. But never once did he come back and say, hey, you know what? Um, I really, really don't appreciate your, your lack of faith in my driving. Uh, I really don't appreciate your lack of faith in this aircraft. So we're just going to ask you to get out, right? I mean, that never happens. Right? That would be really awkward if that were to happen. And never once did we land, and he's like, uh, 32B, 32B, if you could report to the cockpit, right? And he pulls me up, and as we land, he's like, hey, you're never allowed back on this airline ever again because you doubted what we were going to make it and things like that. That never happened, right? The same is true in our faith. I know it's a lame example, but the same is true in our faith. Christ is never going to say, hey, you know, you, you really didn't quite trust me through that scenario, so I was going to offer you reward and things, but eh, I'm going to kind of pass. God says, I want you to trust me, and I want you to know that I'm good enough to handle your lack of faith. 
And we're going to look at that specifically in the resurrection this morning. The most powerful truth this morning is this, that Jesus is more powerful in your faith, and he demonstrated it. It's proven in the resurrection. The resurrection is the thing that we as Christians believe that sets us apart from any other religion, and it is this truth that he has proven to beaten death and conquer death that is proof that he can conquer anything else in our lives, no matter how scary it may be, no matter how many questions we may have. God says, I am still strong enough to handle it. And yet the reality is we've all come in situations where we feel like we can't. We've, we've all hit situations in our life where we feel like it's just too big. And so what do we do? We, we pray, we, we call or text a friend, we post about it, we get busy possibly, we, we kind of turn up the other noise in our life so we can't hear the pain of, of what we're, we're doubting, and so we turn up other noises, whether it's we just binge watch things or whether we uh, dive our, 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 our whole lives into our work or we retreat into our garages and drink our problems away or whatever it is, we, 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 we come across these problems and we, we kind of avoid it, so we turn up the white noise and it doesn't really help. And so this morning, I want us to kind of pause before we start finding solutions to the faith. And I want us to pause and I want us to look at Jesus. I want you and I to slow down and pause when things like these big scenarios come up in your life that cause us to have these questionable moments in our faith, these these earth-shattering moments. And I want us to pause and slow down and think when these things happen and slow down and remind ourselves that Jesus is more powerful than your faith. He is better than your faith. He supplies the power for your faith. And we're going to see this in three stories this morning. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 20. If not, there'll be some verses on the screen. But this is uh, directly after his death. It is now resurrection morning. Uh, it is on the first day of the week as Mary Magdalene is coming to the tomb early in verses 1 through 10. She arrives, she looks in, she doesn't see the body, she freaks out in these first couple verses. She runs and tells Peter and John. John gives us a little bit of an extra insight and said that he... Uh, beat Peter to the tomb, which I don't know why he added it, but maybe there's a thing between him and Peter. He basically just says, and one dude outran the other. Mm. There's only two dudes, so it's either John or Peter. So you get the scenario, a little bit of a, you know, backhanded slap to Peter. Um, And so he says he outran him. They get to the tomb. They look into the tomb. He's not there. They see linens. And so they bolt. And as they bolt, somewhere along the, the path, the story goes like this. Mary, who told Peter and John, is slow behind them. Somehow they don't cross paths on the way back to the tomb. Mary doesn't see Peter and John until later. And so Mary is going back to the tomb after telling Peter and John. And she arrives back at the tomb, still unaware of what in the world is happening. Again, Jesus has risen, but nobody really knows it. He said he's going to rise, but nobody has really believed it. And so we get to verse 11. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Scary moment for her. Um, There's something about the body um, that we need for closure. And she didn't have it. 
and she starts to freak out, and she wonders if her faith in Jesus is going to be enough when the proof in front of her is he's gone. And so the first thing we see, I think, in the first story is there may be times in our life when we talk about this idea of our faith not being enough, there may be times in our life where her grief was more powerful than her faith. Um, I think we've all been there in some form or fashion when our grief was far more powerful than our faith. The pain of losing a loved one, the pain of losing someone who we thought was going to be here forever um, and no longer isn't is hard and difficult. And unfortunately, at times, there are good meaning intentioned people who come into our life and say, well, you just need to trust that God had a reason for it, or you just need to trust that God knows what he's doing, or God has a plan, or the, my favorite, they're in a better place. And I, yes, those, those are all true. But if you're like me and you've been in those situations, they don't often help, right? I mean, they, they sound right. They are right. But sometimes our grief is more powerful than our faith. And Mary was there. Her grief was more powerful than her faith would allow. And she knew maybe that Jesus was going to rise from the dead, but this was too much. And the loss of him was too much. And to see that he was gone was, was overpowering to her in verse 13. Woman, why are you weeping? It's a, kind of an awkward question to ask a grieving person, isn't it? It'd be like sitting into a funeral and walking into the funeral hall of the room and, and asking people, hey, why are you guys all crying? What's going on? Right? It's kind of awkward he says, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. And then in verse 14, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Now, I don't know how that worked. Like, she's standing there facing the angels. Did the angels kind of go like... Right? I mean, like, how did she kind of like... And she turns around, and she sees this guy behind her, and uh, doesn't realize that it's Jesus. The grief is still overtaking her. Her grief is still more powerful. And so she turns around, and she sees him. And then you see Jesus saying to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be a gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. So she, in her grief is irrational, right? And sometimes grief can do that to us. Sometimes grief can make us irrational. It can make us believe things that aren't true. It can make us see the world through a different lens when we're in such hard things as grief. And in the midst of her grief, she's seeing things irrationally. and She doesn't even realize that it's Jesus. And she missed him as being the son of God and mistakes him for a common gardener who's tending the graveyard, if you would. And Jesus says to her in a gentle response, Jesus said to her, Mary, isn't that cool? Let's just stop there for a second. And we'll get to what he says in a second. But the fact that Jesus went by name to her was an incredible thing. That when her faith was not strong enough, he knew. And yet he calls her and doesn't tell her to have more faith. He doesn't respond and say, why, could you, why did you doubt? Why, did you, why can't you understand? I told you this was going to come. Why didn't you do this? He, he, he gently, personally gives a response and he says, Mary. 
and he says her name. There's been a moment in my life where this has happened, and I don't give all the details, but uh, there was a key moment in my life when we were wondering what was going to happen next. We were in the middle of a big, big, big job transition and wondering what God was going to do, and there was a key moment where I could truly say I felt as if God was, was intentionally letting me know that he was here, and it was by name, and he used my first name and middle name, and, and, and it was the first time I've ever had a prayer time like that where it's just specifically God spoke, I truly believe, through this moment. And he says to Mary in the same kind of situation, he says, Mary, what would that have been like, right? You've just lost your best friend. You've just lost that you're close to. You've been to the funeral. You're wondering where the body is. And there's something about a voice, right? That's why so many of us who lose loved ones, we, we, we hold on to the voicemails. We hold on to anything we can that has their voice, can you imagine for the first time hearing that voice again of somebody you think you've lost? And he turns to her and he says, Mary. And she turned and said to him in, in Aramaic, Rabbanai, which means teacher. And she knew it was him. And she immediately does what anybody would do in that situation. And she grabs him. And not just grabs him. I truly believe that in the Greek, this is kind of that like death grip kind of grab right? This is, I am not letting you go again. I've lost you once. I'm not going to lose you again. And she grabs as tightly as she can onto Jesus as if she's going to say, you are never, ever leaving me again. That was horrible. My grief was too much. You met me in my grief, but I will not happen again. And she grabs him and holds him. In verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that she had said these things to her. Here's, here's the crucial part. He, she, he, she grabs him, the grief is overwhelming, and then he tells her in the midst of her grabbing him, hey, you need to let go because I need to go again. Oh, <laughs> what that must have been like for her. She probably didn't even register at that time. But God is going to leave again to go to heaven. So this is temporary, you seeing me again. Jesus meets her with compassion and calls her to have more faith. And he does that in our own grief as well. He sits in the ash heap with you and says, I'm with you in this. I get that it hurts. And I don't have words probably that are going to make the most sense to you right now. But let me just sit with you and let me comfort you and let you know that there is more. And at the same time, he still gives truth, right? He still gives truth that I must do what the Father tells me to do. I must ascend back to my Father, to my God and your God. Hey, Mary, you're trusting me. I'm trusting him. Mary, you're trusting what I want to do. I'm trusting what the Father wants me to do. And I'm going to trust that this is for your good and my glory that I go again and leave. And she announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And he had said these things to her. Now, Mary is the first one that oftentimes our grief can possibly be more powerful than our faith. But there are other times in our life where another emotion can come into our faith and cause it to be more powerful than than believing in the power of the resurrection, that God died and rose again. We read this in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. The disciples are the next big character here, and we see that their fear was more powerful than their faith. They they, they believed in Christ, they wanted everything to do with him, but they are scared to death of the Jews, and, and for right reasons, right? They just crucified their leader in a painfully horrible 
way they, they took their leader out. And if they're going to do that to their leader, they said, you better believe they're going to be coming after us next. And so they do what they seems rational at that point, and they, they hide behind doors that were locked. John, the narrator here, puts the word locked in, I think, for two reasons. One, to show that there was fear, and the other is to show how Jesus enters a locked room. <laughs> Verse 5, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. That's a good thing to say when you walk through a wall, right? That's a good thing to say when you just kind of show up randomly in the middle of a door that's locked. You're like, we locked the door, right? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we locked the door. The dude's standing there. How did that happen? He just kind of came through. How did that work? I don't know. He's here, right? Can you imagine that? Like, you're just like, you're fear, you're scared. You're in the middle of this church service with all these other disciples. They're gathered together on a first day of the week. They're gathered together on a Sunday morning to pray and to figure out what to do next. They just lost their leader in the middle of the day. God, we just thank you. Way, right? And like, he's right there. Like, that's crazy. Like, he stands before them and he's like, peace be with you. And you're like, yeah, okay. All right, cool, cool. All right, cool, cool. He's in the room. And so their fear was now gone from the Jews, probably to fear of Jesus. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So Jesus meets this fear of the disciples that was bigger than their faith. And he shows up in the room as number one proof that they don't need to be fearful of the Jews. They need to be fearful of Jesus himself. They don't need to worry about what they're going to do because the power of the resurrection and a risen Savior who can walk through walls, which there's theology in that that talks about other things of when we get to heaven and can we do the same thing and those kind of questions. I'm thinking hopefully yes, because that's going to be awesome because I'm going to be showing up in a lot of different places and be like, hey, and you're like, ah, stop it. And then you're going to do it to somebody else. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. I really hope that's true. Um, and so he does this and he shows them, hey, you don't need to be fearful of them. You need to be fearful of me. And then he does something amazing. Did you catch it in verse 20 and 21? Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Their fear is more powerful than their faith. He met their fear with action. Yes, look at my hands. Look at my sides. Trust me, this is me. Are we good? Yeah, we believe you're Jesus. Yes, we believe you rose from the dead. Okay, good. We're, we're square. Now, here's what I want you to do. Go. Get out of the room, unlock the doors, church service is over, go. Go do what I told you to do. I am sending you as the Father has sent me. And isn't it true, in every single one of your fears, no matter how big it is, it seems like the best option on the table is to stay put, to not do anything, to just sit and hope things get better. For those who face depression on an ongoing basis, They say one of the best things you can do is get outside. One of the best things you can do is take some form of action, even if it's the simple action of brushing your teeth in the morning. Psychologists agree. It's something about the idea of when you meet this debilitating fear, it requires some kind of action. It requires that you get outside of yourselves. And he meets their fear, and he says, Hey, guys, I'm bigger than your faith. I'm bigger than your fear. I'm better than both. I've beaten death. I want you to just go. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. 
Yes, their fear was powerful, but Jesus meets their fear and says, there's something more. And I would say he says the same to us today. In the midst of our fears, no matter what they are, he says, I get it, I get it, I get it. But can I just persuade you to trust me enough that I'm bigger than your trust, I'm bigger than all these things, and, and just, just take one step today. Just go out, do one thing that gets you past this debilitating fear in your life. And so he ends the church service with them, and he sends them out. And he gives them these, these weird kind of phrases at the end of 21 to 23. He talks about breathing the Spirit on them and if you forgive the sins, and there's a whole lot of theology with that. We're not going to unpack that this morning, except to simply say that Jesus meets their fear and he says, hey, I know you're going to be scared to leave, but hey, just as I was with you physically here, I will be with you as you go. And I will give you the power that you need as you go. You are my disciples, act like it. You're my disciples, live like it. You're my disciples, trust in me more than your own faith and more than your own ability to do so. He says to us at community, hey, I'm still Jesus. I'm still bigger than your faith. I'm still more powerful, so trust in me and go do these things. And then we get our third story this morning. Now Thomas, verse 24, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. You ever, uh, I know the answer. Uh, you ever miss a Sunday? <laughs> and you're like, dude, you missed last Sunday. It was awesome. It was really cool. We did this thing, and we sang this song, and we did this stuff. Now, can you imagine going to Thomas's house? Dude, you weren't there Sunday. Yeah, game was on, didn't think it was a big deal, just kind of slept in. What happened? You weren't there? No. Okay, so we're sitting praying, and all of a sudden, Jesus walked through a wall. Can you imagine, Thomas, like the one Sunday I miss? Come on, right? That's why you need to be at church every week. Um, so I'm just pure application there. Um, he says, Thomas, one of the 12 called one, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. You missed it. Last Sunday was awesome. He was there. I put my hand in his side. It was creepy, but it was cool. I could see it. I could feel it. He was there. He was physically present with us. Oh, Thomas, you missed it. You missed it. You missed it. How could you have missed it? Thomas responds, but he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will, key words, never believe. His doubt was more powerful than his faith. It's a big word to use as a disciple of Jesus Christ, is it not? I will never believe. Unless I touch it, unless I'm there, I will never believe. What do you do after the conversation? (laughs) What do you do as the other disciples after the conversation? See you next Sunday? Apparently so, because we pick up in verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Ha ha, he came this Sunday. <laughs> Didn't miss it this week, right? Uh, and so he's there with them. Fine, I missed Jesus last week. Maybe he's going to make a second appearance. I'll come. And so he comes to church service, and he's there. And again, catch this, verse 26. Although the doors were, what? Locked. Can you imagine Jesus? <laughs> Guys. Guys, I walked through a wall. 
I told you, you don't need to lock the doors anymore. I'm more powerful than, your, than your, anything that you have to fear. I told you that last week. He goes to show up at church this next week. He knocks on the door and it's locked. Guys, guys, we've been through this. So what's he do? He doesn't need a lock. He walks through and the doors were locked. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Can you imagine this? I was like, that's what he said last week. That's the same thing. Through the doors. Can you imagine? Like, I was almost, been under, I was, this is not, this is rabbit trail. I apologize. This is ADD. But can you imagine that church service? Like, you walk in the morning, you just had the experience last Sunday, you walk into church this Sunday. I'd be sitting there, like, on the front row being like, wait for it. Wait for it. Any minute now, he's going to, like, through the wall. Any minute, any minute. And all the other disciples were probably like, yeah, he did it again. And Thomas was probably like, whoa, right? Because he wasn't there. But here, this is awesome. Even in the midst of our doubt, even when Thomas says, I will never, you got to hear this. This is so cool. Then he said to Thomas, again, Thomas has never seen Jesus. Thomas has never seen the resurrected Jesus. He's never had a conversation with the resurrected Jesus. None of it. But Jesus says to him in verse 27, this is awesome. Then he says to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails. Thomas, come here. Put your finger here, see my hands. And he put out your hand and placed it in my side. And placed my finger into the mark of the nails and placed my hand into his side. I will never believe. He says to Thomas, place your finger here, see my hands. Put out your hand Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. Wow. Verbatim. You serve a risen God who met doubting Thomas and not just said, Thomas, I know you're going to believe. We've got to work through some things. He gave this is so cool. Your God gave Thomas verbatim what he asked for, word for word. Isn't that crazy? And he wasn't even in the room when Thomas was asking. Well, he is because he's omnipresent, but he was, he was not even physically there. Put your finger here. See my hands. Place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. Coming against Thomas says, I will never believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. In other words, I believe. I believe you are more powerful than I ever imagined. You are more gracious than I've ever encountered. You met me in my doubts and became more powerful than even my faith could handle. I didn't have the faith to believe, and yet you met me with word-for-word interaction. Thomas is not alone in this idea of doubting the resurrection, right? Thomas is not the only one who has had these doubts about whether Christ could have risen. There are many theories about the resurrection, and there are many doubts that come with it. I'm not going to go through all these in detail, but... Since Thomas until now, there have been many who have doubted the power of the resurrection. This is what keeps many people from believing in Jesus. There are a lot of people who will say, yeah, I'm okay with Jesus. 
Yeah, I'm okay with who he is. Yeah, I'm okay going to church. That's kind of the deal. It's a different thing to say I'm okay with. It's another thing to say I fully 100% trust and believe that Christ died and rose again. That he died for my sins. It should have been me on that cross, as we talked about last week. And he died and has the power over death and life. He's, he's got power over physical death and he gives spiritual life. And there are a couple of theories that, that have come against the resurrection that many people have a problem with. Let me just give you a couple. One theory is the twin Jesus theory that, that basically Jesus had a twin and that they mistook him. They buried the wrong one and then he came back later and there was a twin Jesus. There's not much to support that one. The other one is that there was the wrong tomb. They just kind of had the wrong tombstone or the wrong stone, and they went to the wrong one, and so therefore he obviously was not there, but Jesus died, and he is forever dead, and that's possible one of them. Um, a third option is that they had some bad weed. Um, I'm just going <laughs> to... I don't know if it's officially weed, but uh, they had some hallucinations that uh, they're just hallucinating this and that they all had group hallucinations that during that encounter when he's coming through the walls, they're like, okay, yeah, okay, you've been close to the opium fields again, haven't you? I get it. Um, they, they, they all hallucinated and saw, and it was a mass hallucination that they all saw the same kind of thing come through the doors, and there's that theory. Uh, one would be that it's kind of the SWAT team disciples and that they all kind of gathered together, this group of fishermen and others, tax collector, uh, all these guys kind of gathered together and they busted through the stone and they took the body and they stole the body just to kind of make sure that this thing had some legs to it and then they uh, continued to perpetuate, perpetrate this, this lie that, that Jesus had risen from the dead. Uh, the other one that's probably gotten a lot more traction, that is the swoon theory, which is basically that he fainted. Uh, that he had not officially died when they took him off the cross. He had just kind of passed out. And that uh, he had woken up inside the tomb and mustered the energy and the time and things to kind of work himself out of the tomb uh, and then persuade Mary and the other disciples that he was a God worth following when he had just barely recovered and come walking out of the grave, beaten and battered and bruised and barely standing and said, I'm still alive, I'm God. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think much of these hold weight, uh, but it is some of the conversations out there as far as why people do not believe in the resurrection. And I'm here to say that, uh, we, I personally, and we at community would say, we believe that Christ has the power over death and his own death and has the power over life. And he was the one fully in charge during the full story of death to resurrection. He still is the one in charge. And we know that God is still one who has the power, yes, over these things, but also has the power to give us the faith that we need when we don't have it ourselves. Verse 29. He ends it this way. Jesus said to him, Thomas, have you believed because you have seen me? Thomas would have to say, yeah, that was me. And Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And he's talking about those in the room, but I also believe he's talking to us today. Blessed are those who have seen, who have not seen and yet believed. We have not seen the resurrected physical Jesus, but yet we believe that's a faith. That's a faith that we, we can say is ours to muster and put our faith into. But the Bible is very clear. The faith we're talking about here is not just our faith. The faith he's talking about here is the faith that Jesus gives for us to believe. 
And then maybe that's a different theology than maybe you've heard before, but ultimately we are spiritually dead. We have nothing to offer in and of ourselves. It is Jesus Christ who causes us to believe. It is Jesus Christ who, who gives us the faith to put our, our weight and trust into Jesus Christ himself. And that's an encouragement to me because even when my faith isn't there, even when I, I don't have the ability to believe that he's going to do what he's going to said he's going to do, Jesus says, it's okay. I'm more powerful than your faith. I'm better than any faith you can muster. I am the one who gives the faith to believe in the first place. I want to close this morning with some recap, and then I just want to end with some verses out of Hebrews that hopefully are an encouragement to to us to focus on Jesus when your faith, my faith is not there. When we want to believe, but we just can't. When we want to put our faith in Christ, but the circumstances around us cause us to question and doubt, and we just don't think he's powerful enough to work or he's not there to help. And so I don't know where this hits for you. I don't know if, if, it's, like you, if, Mary, if it's like Mary where your, your grief is more powerful than your faith. And to which I would say, I'm sorry because grief is a natural and normal response, but it's, it's, it's debilitating. And people can say a lot of wrong things in the middle of your grief that want to be helpful but always sometimes aren't. And so let me just say I'm, I'm sorry. And to know that Christ is bigger than your grief. It, it may be that you, you want to believe Christ, but you have fear in the way. And fear runs your life on a constant basis. And let me just say, I'm sorry, but I think God's calling you to take some action to beat some of that fear down because the fear is holding you back. Perfect love, it says in Scripture, casts out fear. So would you love Christ enough that it would cast out that fear? And thirdly, maybe it's just your doubt, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a numbers guy. I'm a facts guy. This resurrection thing I think makes sense. And may, may you know that God says, I am bigger than your doubt. He was bigger than Thomas's doubt, and he meets him word for word verbatim with truth, and he can meet you as well in the same place. And lastly, let me just read some encouragement from Hebrews chapter 12. I encourage you to spend some time there this week. Um, Hebrews chapter 11 gives you a list of those who put faith as a big landmark in their life. But Hebrews 12, I'm going to read some sections for you, and they'll be on the screen as well. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, all of which are listed in chapter 11, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus not looking to yourself, not looking to muster up all that you can, but looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Isn't that crazy? It's not up to you just to muster, muster, faith, faith, faith. It is looking to Jesus, the founder, the starter of your faith, and the perfecter of your faith. You may want to just highlight and circle that and live in that for a month, a year, right? The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy, what? Highlight, circle, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy of the cross? Are you kidding me? Yeah, the joy that was set before him at the cross. Dis- 
despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verses 12 to 13. Therefore, since that is true, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather would be healed. Verses 18 and 19. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words may the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. You've come to that kind of a God. 12 and t- verse 12, 22 and 24. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the immeasurable angels in festal gatherings, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Father, we've come not just to a truth, not just to a sermon. We've come not just to another Sunday morning. We've come to the author and the perfecter of our faith. We've come to one who in the Old Testament was unapproachable. We've come to the one who was a, blaming, was a blazing fire and a tempest, to the one who could destroy at a moment's notice, the one who had darkness and gloom and tempest and sound and trumpet. No, God, we have come to you. We have come to Mount Zion, the city of a living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to the immeasurable angels and festal gatherings, to the assembly of the firstborn. We have come to you, God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the new mediator of our faith. Thank you for defeating death. Thank you for giving us new life. God, no matter what our doubts are, whether they are fear, whether they're uh, grief, God, whether they're just plain doubts, I pray that you would meet us. You would remind us that you are better and bigger than our, fear, our faith. You give us the faith we need. And when we don't have it, we can come to the one who gives it freely to us saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. God, for, the, for our church, whatever they are facing this week, um, some are facing some larger ones than others. I pray that you'd be bigger than their faith, um, bigger than their fear, bigger than their grief, and remind them of the personal nature that you have toward us who believe. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.